1,000 people surveyed by Forbes magazine. These are the top five New Year's resolutions going into 2024. Hint, it didn't change much from 2023. So what do you think they are? I didn't put them up here on your screen, but what do you think the number one thing that people want to do? Lose weight. Okay, what else? Exercise. Save money. Hey, you're good enough. You're close enough. Here's, here's what they are. Improve fitness. That was 48%. Improve finances. Who said the finance? Was that you, Tracy? 38%. Um, improve mental health, which I thought was interesting, is 36%. Uh, lose weight was only 34%. But, of course, watch how watch this. Um, an improved diet was 32%. So you improve the diet, you improve the fitness in order to do what? Lose weight. Exactly. Now, keeping your New Year's resolution isn't easy, and we often need help. Of course, that's in the form of accountability, right? Well, what this year's survey, the 2024 survey, revealed is that 20% of respondents say they keep themselves accountable when it comes to sticking to their goals. Now, why do I share that statistic? Because it's a massive drop compared to last year's survey, which 77% of respondents said they would keep themselves accountable. So 77% down to 20%. Now, of course, if you look at these goals... Uh, with their critical eye, you'll see that 60%, three out of five, they focus on the body. Just 20% focus on the mind. And of course, what was not mentioned in any of these New Year's goals um, was the spirit. Where are the resolutions for this? Um, and now, perhaps I, th I thought the reason for the absence of any spiritual resolutions is that people simply don't know how to take care of their spirit, and I believe that that is true. Or maybe it's because, I think this is what it really is, spiritual resolutions are just too hard to fulfill. I mean, if this is true, if it's too hard for the vast majority of people, I want you to know that that does not apply, that is not true for the Christian. Well, why is that? Because we have the advantage. We have help. Now, before I go any further, um, we're going to be looking at this passage here, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. We'll not read that now, but we'll get through it as we go through the sermon here. But you can turn there in your, in your Bible if you want. And before I go any further, I want to talk to you about this. You guys remember this? Members only? Who remembers members only? What am I you don't remember. You got to look in your face, so you have to remember it, right? No? Members only were what? Jackets. jackets. Remember these? Yeah. Members only jackets? Who had a members only jacket? That's it? I thought for sure almost everybody would have had a members only jacket. I had one. It was like a beige or a tan color. Okay. And these were the jacket to have in the 80s. Okay. Here's a couple of interesting tidbits. Um... It was popular in the 80s. Um, they're called racer jackets. Did you know that? Members only racer jackets. They were distinguished by their narrow epaulets. What's, the, what's an epaulet? This right here? Okay. Um, and collar strap and their knitted trim. Of course, they're manufactured in a wide variety of colors. 
There's the blue one. I had like a beige or tan one. Who had a members only jacket? And do you remember the color of it? What was it? Burgundy? Burgundy? Black. Black. Black? Black? You didn't have any, Shannon? Nobody else? No, okay. So they came in these wide variety of colors. They were in, in movies and TV, and, and everyone had one, it seemed like, or most people did. But what I, I didn't know, I know they were popular, but their advertising slogan was this. And I thought this was fascinating. When you put it on, something happens. Isn't that great? When you put it on, something happens. It didn't happen for me. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. But I thought, okay, that makes sense, because we're going to talk about uh, New Year's resolutions, and what the sermon title is a worthy New Year's resolution. And I thought about this, you know, that the Bible commands us that we put on Christ, right? That means that we imitate his character, Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we put on Christ, something happens, or it should happen. Well, here is, is a brief sampling of what exactly happens, and I put these up there so you can just look at these and so on. Um, this is from the book of Ephesians, the first two chapters. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing when you become a Christian, when you put them on. You've been chosen before the foundation of the world. You're declared holy and blameless. You're adopted into God's family. Your sins are forgiven. You know his will. You've obtained an inheritance. You're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which means you can't lose your salvation. Okay? And the inheritance is waiting for you because you're sealed. Uh, you're alive in Jesus Christ. You were once dead to God. Now you're alive in Jesus Christ to God. You're his unique workmanship. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You're no longer an enemy. You're now near to God. You're one new man. You're one body. Both Jew and Gentile now both have access to God, the Father, by one spirit. You're no longer strangers or sojourners. You're fellow citizens of the saints in the kingdom of God. You're members of the household of God. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and we are building, joined together, growing to be a holy temple in the Lord. Yeah, yeah that's what membership, members only, membership matters. This is what happens to you when you become a Christian. And so when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, something should happen, right? Now, for a lot of us, it doesn't happen. And we'll talk about that in a moment here. But something should happen. Now, in order for something to happen, the simple reality is, is that you and I and everybody needs help. Now, you may recall this. In the past, I have taught you that the first three chapters of Ephesians, and by the way, for those of you in Sunday school, the first 11 chapters of Romans does the same thing. But the first three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians, it lays out what I call the specifications or the specs of a believer. We're just like this. Remember this? You're the car. Remember that? This is everybody who has ever been born and whoever will live. They are like a car. We all have basic specifications. Okay, this has got a, uh, an engine that drives everything. It's got tires and the body and the interior and, and everything, lights and everything. And that's what every car has, okay? Now, that is what an unbeliever looks like. 
But when you are a Christian, when you put on Jesus Christ, this is what you become. Okay? Remember this? This is way better than this. Okay? This has got a, a thicker body, better tires, better, better everything other than gas mileage. Okay? You, can get, you definitely have more power. You can go faster. Okay? You'll look better. Okay? And so when people see this, they see it all the time, no big deal. When something like this drives by, you can hear it, and you do a double take. Okay, but, uh, that's nice. This is what a believer looks like, okay? Now, when you put on Jesus Christ, in other words, you start to live out all those things I just listed, you look like this. This is supposed to be a picture of a, of a, of a believer or a Ford Mustang in motion. It is moving, okay? The problem is, is that how do you go from here to here? Well, that's easy. Jesus Christ, he's in your life. You're saved, you become a Christian, you believe in him, John 3, 16. The problem comes in going from here to here, okay? You got all those things I just read to you, all those specs, but you're really not experiencing them, you're really not living them out. And even though you're supposed to be this, and you're this, your life looks like this. Okay? So I want you to put on this so that your life looks like this. Okay? Now, do you remember that from previous sermon I did a couple years ago? Now, we'll get into that when we go to Ephesians. Let's look at chapter 3. So the first two chapters deal with all your specifications. And Paul says, that's great. You've been given this stuff. That's a great advantage, but it's useless unless you get this next part down. You need help. And that's verses 14 through 21. Let's read it real quick. For this reason, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God." Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So what is he saying here? Well, this is his prayer, and the first thing he says is that you need to access, you need to be empowered. You need what we call innate strength. Okay? For those who like to take notes, this would be verse 16. According to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now, what am I referring to there? 
Well, it's really kind of simple. It's the fact that God gave us his Holy Spirit. But just because you're here and you have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that you are living like that. How do I get here? Well, the first step is, and these are a series of progressive steps or five steps, is that you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Some call it being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Some call it being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, and what do I mean by that? Well, here's a definition. I think it's from John Piper, but it's this right here. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit, those are all phrases that mean the same thing is when a believer in Jesus Christ receives extraordinary power for Christ's exalting life in ministry. So, for example, Jesus was a believer from the very beginning. You know that. But when did his life become really supernatural? When he was baptized by John the Baptist. And what happened? The Holy Spirit fell upon him. And then he was immediately led by the Spirit, okay, to be tempted. And when he was successful in that, his ministry began, and he was led by who throughout his whole ministry? The Holy Spirit. And then what did he begin to do? He will the Father. But what did he do, though? He taught with what? Authority. And he demonstrated power through miracles. And what miracles did he do? He healed sickness primarily. He basically banished sickness from Palestine. Okay, what else did he do? He cast out demons, and that was, there was healing there. Okay, he told the wind to do what? In the waves. Controlled nature. What did he do with a, a few loaves of bread and fish? He multiplied all that, okay? And that was all the will of the Father as he was led by the Spirit. And he did miraculous, powerful things, Okay. And he said the reason why I was able to do all that is because he was committed to doing the will of the Father as he was led by the Spirit. Okay? When he departed into heaven and the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples in Acts chapter 2, what did they do? The same things. Okay? So that's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit we're talking about. And this is what you have to have in order to live the Christian life. Let me read to you my favorite story of this strengthening. This is the story of D.L. Moody. Do you know who D.L. Moody was? Famous pastor um, in the United Kingdom. Was it? No, he's in Chicago. Chicago, excuse me. He says, the year 1871 was a critical one in Mr. Moody's career. He realized more and more how little he was fired by personal requirements for his work. An intense hunger and thirst for spiritual power were aroused in him by two women who used to attend the meetings and sat on the front seat. He could see by the expression in their faces that they were praying. At the close of services, they would say to him, we've been praying for you. Why don't you pray for the people, Mr. Moody would ask, because you need the power of the Spirit. I need the power? Why, said Mr. Moody. In relating the incident years after, I thought I had power. I had the largest congregation in Chicago. And there were many conversions. In a sense, I was satisfied. But right, about, but right along, those two godly women kept praying for me, and their earnest talk about anointing for special service set me to thinking. I asked them to come and talk with me. 
and they pour out their hearts in prayer that they might receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. There came a great hunger into my soul. I did not know what it was. I began to cry out as I never did before. I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this, this power for service. Then the book goes on to tell of the great Chicago fire of D.L. Moody's relief work, the building of the Northside Tabernacle, and of his visiting in the East to secure funds for his work. Then the narrative continues. During this Eastern visit, the hunger for more spiritual power was still upon Mr. Moody. He said, my heart was not in the work of begging, meaning for the money. He said, I could not appeal as I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if I should give me all the world. It would be as a small dust of the balance. That is the inner strength, the filling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is something that happens after conversion. We read about it in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples, falls upon people. Okay? You need that strengthening. Okay? You cannot live the Christian life. You cannot put on Jesus Christ. You won't be different unless you are strengthened with the Holy Spirit. And now there are two quick keys to this other than this, this hunger, this desire, is the fact that you have got to surrender yourself, an absolute surrender to him. And then you have to have a continual dependence upon him. And you see it in the life of Jesus. What did he do regularly throughout the day? He would pray, but he would often go to be by himself to be with his father. What do you think he was doing other than just talking and praying and worshiping? What was he doing? Being strengthened, but what else? He was receiving instruction, but what to do next? Okay? That he would go to another town, or he would, this is why he would go to a place to have a bunch of sick people and only heal one person. Well, why? That was the will of the Father. Okay? So there's an absolute surrender to him. There's a dependence upon him. There's an intimate relationship so that you know when God is leading you. Okay? You can't have that until you become a Christian. You have to cultivate that, and you've got to long for and be have this experience, this by faith claim that the filling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's the first step. The second step is this. So, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, what does that mean? This is what I call the inherited presence. Okay? So, again, this is another example. This is an unbeliever. It's a real basic diagram that's a great illustration. 
This is every unbeliever. Christ is not in the life, and self is on the throne, and they're directing their life. Okay? This is still another self-directed life, but what's the difference? What's the difference? See this? And then Christ is in the life. Now, who's directing the life? And I dare say that this is the majority of Christians. Okay? Now, there's some that are just ignorant of this spirit-filled life, and there are others that, through their own choice and through sin, stay in control of their life. Whether for fear or their OCD or whatever it is, their high control, they just simply will not surrender. And we all have areas of our lives okay, that we need to continually surrender to him. What you want to do is you want to be here. And also you can see the difference there. Christ is on the chair. He's on the throne. He controls. Okay? So what does it say? that So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The key phrase there is dwell. Do you remember what that means? To settle down. In other words, Jesus Christ is in your life when you become a Christian, and he's comfortable in your life. Think about this way, that your heart, remember this, it's a home. And he comes home from work, and he can just relax and settle down. He's comfortable. So he can go to any room in your heart, to the kitchen, what you eat, and to the television room, what you watch, or to the library, what you read, and to your, what you do in your bedroom and in everything. He has access to all of that. But if there's an area of your, a room in your heart that he doesn't have access to, then he's not going to be completely comfortable. So when it talks about so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, so that Christ may be comfortable in your heart through faith, what we're talking about here, he's your savior, right? You become a believer, but he wants to be your Lord. It's lordship. And so, the inner strengthening is given to you so you have the ability and the desire to make him and continually keep him on the throne. In other words, you sign over the deed of your house, your heart, to him. And that will only come with a desire. You won't have that desire unless you are strengthened with power from the Holy Spirit because he gives that to you. He also gives you the ability to do that. This is why when you see a new believer and they get convicted of, of their, their lifestyle and, and they you know, slowly offer it to God and they're going through this process, well, that's the normal process. You give him everything. But the only way that you're going to do that is if you are filled or empowered with the Holy Spirit. Because self is too strong. It's too strong. It needs to be killed. It needs to die. And you need to continually give it to him. And that's one of the things that comes with this strengthening. A desire and the ability to make Jesus Christ Lord over every area of your life. Okay? So the first step is the strengthening. The second step is this, this surrendering to him. So he is Lord over every area of your life. Now, the next thing that happens as a result of all that is what I call inscrutable love. In other words, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay? Let's look at it again. Verse 17. And that you may be rooted and grounded in love 
and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. See that phrase, that? Okay, it's a hint of clause that means these things are sequential. So I'm strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit, okay? So that he may become comfortable in my, my heart, in my life. And you want to know if you're doing this, if it's actually happening, if you literally are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your life, your responses to life will be through a prism of love. You are rooted and grounded in love. That's your foundation. So you view life through, this, this, through love, which means then that you are almost impossible to offend because you're love. You're becoming more like Christ. If he is controlling you, directing you through his spirit, you mean more like Jesus, more like God, and God is love, Right? And so this love, this way you, you begin to respond to life in love. So when someone insults you, or they persecute you, or they make fun of you, again, this is the Beatitudes, what does it say we do? You know this, come on. When someone persecutes you, they insult you, say it. You bless them. How do you bless them? You pray for them. That's a loving response. Because you're not offended. Why am I not offended? Because who's controlling you? Jesus is, through his spirit. And so this is how you live your life, out of this foundation of love. Now, does that make sense to you? No. It doesn't. But then you begin to understand that that is the love of God in you, the love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, think of it this way. Your life, if you've gotten this inscrutable love, will look like or sound like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And for Monday night, it's not a Michigan fan. It's a Washington Huskies fan, right? It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. <coughs> it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Okay, love is patient. Okay, that's not me in my own nature. But if I find myself being more patient, then that's a good sign for me. Okay? How about this one? It keeps no record of wrongs. How about this one? It always protects. It means that when I'm at work and there's gossip, guess what I don't do? I don't gossip. I protect that person. That is love. So you begin to see now in a practical way if I'm, how I'm doing any steps. Have I been strengthened with the Holy Spirit? Is he increasingly becoming the Lord over every area of my life? And I will know if my response to life, whatever it brings me, my first response is love. So if you're immediately offended, and let's face it, that is us a lot of times, then there's something wrong in before. Either there's an area of your life that you've taken back control of, or you simply haven't 
You need to re-surrender your life to Jesus Christ and, and claim the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because that third step leads to the fourth step, which is called immeasurable fullness. Okay? Now, I've said before in the past, I don't know how to describe uh, this to you. As, you know, is, what does that look like? Well, you could study the life of Jesus, okay? But he was perfect, and it's like, I, I can't ever attain to that. All right, so I thought this is the best thing that would, I think, a picture I can show you of what it means to be, as it says there, to be filled with all the, to the fullness of God. It looks like this, I believe. I mean, that is, is God pouring his spirit out in you, and is there any room in this? It's full already. So what's happening? It's overflowing. I think that's the best picture of what we can see when it says that so that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. In other words, you've put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're different, and it's noticeable. Okay? Now, the other image I could put in there, I just didn't want to look, look it up, a little lazy, I guess. I could take you a picture of a, of a cup that had holes in it. And it could be filled with water. And where's the water going to come out? All throughout all the holes. The holes would represent the times you've been broken. The point is, is that you're there through the, and the Spirit is to be oozing out of you. The life of Jesus is to ooze out of you. So I have the life of Jesus in me through the strengthening that enables me and gives me the desire to surrender to him, to give him basically the title of my heart. He owns it. I can know that I'm on the right path when I am just, my first response is love to everything. And I'm just, I look like, my life is like Jesus Christ. Then there's the last part, which is what I call interior power. You don't see this much because most people don't go through these steps. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, through me now, if I get to this fifth stage, what is God able to do through me? Yeah. He's able to, you, he will use you to do what? Well, what did Jesus do? He's the perfect example of this. What did Paul do? What did Stephen do? They did his will, and his will in the form of what? Their lives were known for what? Apart from the, the, the theology they gave us, there's power. They healed the sick. They raised the dead. They did miracles through them. Because that's the power. You shall receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Greek word power is what? Dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite from. So you have this miracle working power through you. Okay? And so, you know, again, I, I didn't want to bring up Jesus, but what does that interior power look like? Well, let me read this to you. This is from Acts 7, 54 through 60. This is just simply um, the death of the disciple Stephen. 
He was before the Sanhedrin, before all the, the Jews, and he argued with them, and this is what happened. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him, but being, again, full of the Holy Spirit, there he is, he's full, he's, he's like Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears, and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So again, think about that. They are stoning you to death. You are dying in the presence of all these people. You look up to heaven as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you see the Father and the Son, the right hand of God. And then this is what a person who has been strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in their inner being so that Jesus Christ may dwell in their heart through faith. I mean, he is the Lord of their lives. And they're rooted and grounded in love so that they can understand and know the height, the width, the breadth, and depth of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. They're filled to all the fullness of God. They're that cup that's overflowing. This is what it looks like. Verse 60, Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not Hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. How in the world was he able to say, don't forgive them to the very people that are killing him? That makes no sense, does it? But that is what? The love of God that surpasses knowledge. By a man who was living a life of love, because Jesus was Lord over every area of his life, because he had the desire and the ability, because he'd been strengthened, he'd been filled, he'd been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Do you see the progression? Okay. That, folks, in my estimation, and what I felt led to preach on this morning, is a worthy New Year's resolution. Now, the question is, and this is the hard question, is where are you in this process? Because this is something that you need personally, that the church needs universally, okay? But it is really kind of rare. And so I would like you to pray about making that your resolution this year. I mean, be... I joke with my wife because she sees things that I don't. I call her Captain Criticos, which is we get the word critical from because she has great at her work and everything, and she sees things I don't. I'm asking you to be critical, to be relentless. Look inside you. Lord, what area am I? I mean, have I even been filled with the Holy Spirit? Am I filled with the Spirit now? What area am I withholding from you? Watch how you respond to your spouse, to circumstances, to people. Is your initial reaction love? If it's not, go back. Do another analysis. Seek this, this process. 
go through those steps, okay? And you will know, you know people will say it to you, they'll say there's something different about you. Because you should be different. Because what is it, was that, again, I don't remember it for word for word. When you put it, put it on, something happens. When you put it on, something happens. You should be different. And then trust God to, through you, do whatever it is he wants to do through you. And it very well may be something miraculous. This is what we need. Amen.